All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, here we are. We still don't have a speaker of the United States House of Representatives, and everybody is providing insight and analysis into why they think that is. The general consensus among the media and even some people I really respect, like Ben Shapiro, is that the 20 conservatives, 20 or so conservatives that are holding this up are kind of having a tantrum or don't have a plan. But what we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to provide some insight from being on the inside of some of these battles, obviously not in Congress, but in the State House, I'm providing some insight that I don't see a lot of people talking about on why I think these 20 conservatives are actually doing this. All of that coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, guys. I guess that would be later this afternoon. We're just recording it in the morning. I'm super excited to talk about this because I haven't really delved into the whole conversation about the speaker. There's a lot of contention, a lot of drama, and I'm excited to talk about it. So let's get rolling. All right. As always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, a good guy. And thankfully, look who came back with the milk. That's right. Queen of the Bees, Tina. She was gone for a little bit, but she, she's back again. Hello, everyone. And of course, we have our political prognosticator and resident historian, Christian Hines. Hello. And Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. I'm really interested in some of the points Christian has historically here, so I'm excited. Yeah, we'll see. And then we have Lydia, our producer, Sarah Patch Lids herself. How are you doing, Lydia? That's right. I'm great. I hope that everybody is joining us over on Volley, telling us what they think of our episodes and telling us what they want to talk about. Hope that everyone's subscribed on YouTube and listening on podcast platforms. I'm excited to talk. Let's get going. Okay, for those of you that haven't managed to accidentally walk past a phone or TV in the last, I don't know, 48 hours, uh, you may be unaware that there's a huge battle right now, first time in over 100 years, that a speaker has not been chosen on day one of the new Congress. And everybody has a thousand different reasons. Democrats are sitting back, kind of laughing this up. They think it's great that Republicans are infighting. Uh, there's been, I think, as, as of right now, I think there's been over six votes six votes. This I don't think has ever happened before, this many, this many votes for a speaker. And what happened was is that in order to get in order to become the speaker of the house right everybody in the house votes this is actually the same way in virginia republicans and democrats we all vote for the speaker of the house now typically the majority party the one the one with the most votes gets to select the speaker for obvious reasons they usually unify around a particular candidate but that hasn't happened this time so even though everyone thought that this had kind of eventually had been worked out behind closed doors and Kevin McCarthy was going to be the next speaker because he had the vast majority of the votes in the Republican caucus, right? All the Democrats are obviously voting for someone else. And it started off with 19 Republicans, right? 19, that was kind of the core of people that opposed McCarthy for speaker. And then as the votes started to go on, it actually increased to 20. 
And this has gone back and forth. And and it's we're now twenty one. And now twenty one because we have one person that there voted was, present. Um, uh, Victoria yeah. Bartz, I believe, she um, Indiana. I think she voted from Indiana. Present. She voted so present. Think, yeah. So what we have right now is b- before the speaker is selected, the House cannot properly organize. You know, the the work of the House cannot get done. Um, and Republicans now are going after one another. And you want to talk about some strange bedfellows. Well, hang on. You said something earlier, uh, j- just to correct the record for the the um, folks listening at home. This is fun fact. This is not the longest speakership election ever. This is not the most number of ballots. Take a guess how many ballots. I, I want to hear from everybody real quick. How many ballots? Just throw out a number, anybody. Ten. How many ballots do you think was the longest speakership 80. election in American history? I'll, I'll go with ten. You say ten. You 20. say eighty. You I'm going to say, say 20. twenty. How about you, Lydia? Forty. A hundred and thirty-three. Wow. Whoa. It was wow. year was this from December eighteen fifty-five to February eighteen fifty-six. Wow. So we got a long ways to go. Two month long So what you're saying is we're not making history just yet. <laughs> well, it's, it's no. been a long time. But here, here's what we want to talk about today. It says we all know the Democrats are thoroughly enjoying this, right? Obviously, there's whenever there's infighting between a, a party that that happens. Um, but there's a, obviously a lot of infighting within Republican circles as well. And I was listening to uh, Ted Cruz's um, podcast on this because Chip Roy, who's been one of the leaders within these 20 conservatives, used to be the cha- chief of staff for Ted Cruz. Um, and I, I know I know Ted Cruz pretty well. I know Chip Roy pretty well. I know some of the other people that are involved on this, both, basically on both sides of this issue. Um, but Ted Cruz gave some good analysis on, on things that he thought was happening without wading into who he thought should be speaker or anything like that. But then we, a couple of things that really blew up. And the first thing we're going to watch is from Dan Crenshaw. So here is, here is a clip of Dan Crenshaw's take on what is going on. And again, I, I know Dan, right? I don't, I don't claim to be like best buddies or drinking buddies, but I, but I know them people, right? We've met, we've talked, uh, we've done events together, et cetera. So here's, here's Dan, Dan Crenshaw's take. Who are you hearing these renegade Republicans want to nominate, essentially, as speaker? Who's their person? They don't have one. There's That's no a great plan. question. There's no plan. Right. That's a great question. They, 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 they keep acting like, you know, they're... They keep acting like they've got somebody in the wings. They're just waiting. You'll see. You'll see on the day of, right? They keep saying that. They're like children. This is, this is such a childish attempt at, at gaining more and more attention. You know why they say it like that? Because they want you to interview them again. That's why they're doing it. Please interview. You'll see. If you just, if you just put me on TV just one more time, please, <laughs> then I'll tell you who we're going to go for. But here's the thing. They, they've got nobody. Even, even if they did, I promise you, there's a ton of Republicans who will not vote for them. They will not vote for anyone except Kevin McCarthy. Because here's the thing. This is, this is a general election. All right? We had our primary election, and Kevin McCarthy won with 85% of the vote. That's a primary election. Now we're in the general election. So if you're not voting for our GOP nominee, you are voting for Democrats. You are enabling Democrats. Yep. And let's make something very right. clear. You know who is technically the Speaker of the House um, if, if Kevin isn't sworn in? It is a clerk who is appointed by Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> so the only person you're empowering right. are the Democrats. The Democrats are cheering. The Democrats are so happy that this is all happening because these guys and these girls wanted to make this happen. They wanted so wow. much notoriety. Their own sense of self-aggrandizement gotcha. so important to them that they, they needed to make this happen. 
Okay, so that's the that's the Dan Crenshaw take. He had another he had another figure of speech that he used in a in a previous interview where I think he didn't he call him terrorists? Yeah, he called him terrorists yeah. and and the enemy. And here's the thing that really struck me about that. The whole if you're not voting for this, you're voting for Democrats. He 100% just used the establishment line that gets used on conservatives all the time where it's like, "Come on conservative, you're not going to get what you want. You're never going to get what you want." Why don't you just get in line and get out of the way so that we can steamroll you and so let, everybody let's, else? Let's talk, so uh, okay, look, I will play. In case um, anyone's wondering where I stand on the issue, yeah. So so real quick, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with Dan on this. I don't agree with Dan on this. Uh, there's a couple of things he said that okay. Let's let's look at this from the standpoint of was this a reasonable argument? So if you do look at this as a primary election and a general election, where to say is like you know, again because it's not like Republicans. Okay, we took the majority. Now we get to pick the speaker. No, the Democrats still get a say. They still get to vote, right? So you you have to pick somebody that can get preferably an, enough Republican votes to, so where we're selecting the speaker and not the Democrats, right? Okay, that's fair. Part of the issue that, that's coming up right now that I don't agree with Dan on is one, is this idea that the only explanation for this is they just want notoriety. That part's frustrating to me. That part's frustrating to me because I, I think, I, I again, I know some of these people fairly well. Um. And no, I, I think they have very significant and important reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Now, can you argue all day long that, hey, they should have had a better plan or they should have this or they have should, sure. But I don't think Dan, I, I I think Dan even knows that it's not as simple as, oh, they just want notoriety. I think Dan is frustrated with the outcome because they just want to get moving with, and they think McCarthy is going to be the eventual speaker no matter what. But I, to, I feel just, like this is a straw man argument. And the reason I say that is because everybody knows, like, You've got to be an absolute moron not to know that it makes a big difference when everyone who's voting for McCarthy has had all of their committee assignments threatened in order to um, gain the votes. I mean, well, that's he, this. Spe that's the speculation. And, no, no, no. Like what I'm saying is, is that most of these people, as long as he's on the ballot, they're not going to go against him. He's like, oh, this was, you know, a, a general election. We already had the primary election. Well, when when. You're faced with like political ruin and not being able to do anything for a general election and everyone knows who's voting for who. Yeah, they're they're voting out of fear for this guy. Well, I, I really I, don't think that everyone is so loyal to McCarthy like this. It, what it is, is they're afraid not to vote for him because he'll strip away their committee assignments. He will, you know mess them up all across the board with all of their legislation. I mean, this guy operates off of threats and I think we already know that. Well, the, the, here's I, again, the, part of the speculation this came out in the, uh, Ted Cruz's podcast too, is that he got word that w when this did, when this wasn't going down the way that they wanted, apparently, and again, I can't confirm this, Allegedly. but apparently um, house leadership did come in and essentially threatened the people that were not getting on board with their committee assignments. And I, I will tell you this, I don't know if that happened, but it's plausible as hell. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely plausible. And, and the other thing too that I, I think is part of the the miscalculation at this point is this is kind of how this is this has always worked, right? If you if you violate what the caucus has decided is going to be the leadership, if you violate that or if you push back or you do something that they don't like, then you risk losing committee assignments. Right. Or, or you risk support during your election year or you risk somebody advocating for a primary challenger against you. And I think we've gotten to a point and this is what we're going to get into a little bit later. I think we've gotten to a point where there's enough people in Congress 
that are essentially willing to say, do it. Right. Do it. If it means I can expose some of the crap that is going on behind the scenes, go ahead and do it. Now, you can debate all day long on whether or not you think this is the, the mechanism to do it. But I would argue that for many of these guys, this is one of the only this is one of the only ways that they can actually hit above their weight. It's their only opportunity to take yeah. a stand. And, and and everybody knows McCarthy is I mean, the guy is the pinnacle of what the establishment is. And it's amazing to me because I'm watching all of these people that are typically really conservative and the whole deal um, going, let's just get this over with. Come on, you guys stop having your tantrum. And I'm going, there's a reason why like Thomas Massey voted for Kevin McCarthy in every single Uh, ballot. uh, One of my favorite members of Congress and and one of the most principled members of Congress. Nobody can question Thomas Massey's conservative record. He, I remember he was like the one man in March, 2020, who would go to the floor of the house and like demand a recorded vote on the multi-trillion dollar spending bills that they were passing when everybody thought the world was ending. And then he went out there and tweeted, this is the largest transfer of wealth you'll ever see in your lifetime. This will become patently obvious in a short while. And he was right. So like, Massey's one of the few good guys, and yet he's voting for McCarthy. And so later on in this episode, I think Nick will kind of get to the heart of the reason why it seems like there's a certain group of people that are voting against McCarthy in every single ballot and why there's other people that are voting for McCarthy. And there's a variety of different reasons why, because I'm willing to bet that the reason that that. Uh, Massey's voting for McCarthy is radically different than, say, Brian Fitz- Fitzpatrick in the you know yeah. uh, Philadelphia yeah. suburbs. Yeah, Upton is voting for a very different reasons. <laughs> so, like, or was there's another clip though that I showed Hamilton what yesterday? It's great, and I don't think anybody here other than Hamilton and I, I don't think Liddy has seen it. I don't think Tina has seen it, and I don't think Nick has seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is I, the, the the last I don't know 15 seconds of this video of Chip Roy speaking about why he's, he's well, let, let's, leading Let's this. do that because so many people are saying that there's no plan. We don't know what they actually yeah. want. They don't know any of it. So, all right. So we, we heard from Dan Crenshaw. Now let's hear from Chip Roy, who is, who's arguably been probably one of the most vocal members of, of this group of 20. He's been the guy the getting up debating days. on yeah. at the podium. Yeah. Go ahead. Chip Roy. Yeah, sure. Well, putting aside personalities, let's just take that out of it and just saying what would get me to yes is I need to make sure that the rules committee is structured in such a way that those of us who are what I would call fiscal conservatives who want to stop the sort of train of the swamp, right? The power brokers, the defense industrial complex, if you will, plus the non-defense discretionary, uh, you know, uh, folks on the other side of the aisle who want to spend more money, they all come together, as you know, you follow this town closely. We just saw it happen with the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. Without debating the merits of any particular substance in the bill, we can't keep doing that. It was a 10% increase in defense, a 6% increase in non-defense discretionary, $45 billion for Ukraine, $41 billion for emergency spending. None of that extra spending was paid for. So when are we going to stop that? So we can't stop that if we don't have the tools in the Rules Committee to stop it. I'd love to have open debate. I'd love to have more amendments. With the 72-hour rule you were just talking about, that's all good stuff. But i got to take issue with one thing that Jamie talked about just a minute ago. I wish she was still on because I don't want to talk about her in the third person. But she said that we were asking for things for personal handouts, spots on committees. Well, she wasn't talking about you. She wasn't. We we were very clear to distinguish you from others. We, We talked about how your opposition was based in principle having to do with rules. We were, we were talking more about uh, uh, the meeting between uh, McCarthy and Gates, Bobert, well, and, and, and but if, Perry. 
But if I might offer a defense of them, what was offered, or at least meant to be offered, was a, re a response to the request from Kevin, hey, we need actual names to know what you want on certain committees. So, for example, we put my name on the Rules Committee. Jake, I don't want to be on the Rules Committee if I don't have to be, because you got to fly up on Sunday, and I want to be with my family on Sunday night in Texas. But I offered to do it in order to try to advance the ball. Andy Biggs didn't want to be on appropriations, but we put his name on the list. My point is, that was offered in good faith. It's, it's unfair for Jamie to say that and then to say, oh, they want their goodies. These other guys have worked so hard. Jake, how do you think people get committees in this town? How about NRCC contributions? How about how they play in terms of fundraising? Everybody says, oh, we can't talk about how fundraising is connected to power. But you know and I know how this town works, and it is. We're trying to break the back of that. Yeah, he's he's not wrong. He is so <laughs> not wrong. Um, I, I will I will tell you right now when when you listen to what he's talking about, and I get it. For most people looking at this, like I still don't know what he wants, right? Or they just want committee assignments for their own little goodies. It's like, okay, no, please. Under okay, here's the inside baseball. Here's the inside baseball. The more powerful your committee, especially with respect to money, the more money you're going to be able to fundraise. That puts you in a position of influence with respect to the other members of Congress that you can make donations to. Not to mention the fact that especially when it comes to the Rules Committee, which is arguably the most powerful committee in any legislature, state or federal. People are like, oh, it's Appropriations Committee because they, they decide where the money is going to be spent. Yes, yes. But rules is where so many things either go to die or held up in order to make sure a very specific outcome takes place. And so membership on those committees, appropriation rules, you'll notice that there, there seems to be a complete lack of conservative membership on some of these committees because they tend to be incredibly powerful, incredibly influential, and it ends up being the way that leadership can control and keep people in check. So when Chip Roy says, Yes, we want certain members on these committees. That's not, ooh, goody, I can't wait to you know exploit this committee for my own benefit. Theoretically, they could. No, it's far more about pushing back and saying, you don't get to control the most powerful committees, the purse strings and everything else. Because if you do, you will constantly put us in a position once your speaker, once the leadership team is established, you will constantly put us in a position where if we don't get in line, there will be consequences, baby. And we know it. We now know how the game is played. And so you're either going to allow conservatives to occupy some of these positions or we're going to fight back. That's what Chip Roy was just explaining. And so many Americans don't understand what goes on within these committees. Yeah. When you get a freshman congressman who first gets in and suddenly gets some pretty nice committee assignments, you know there was a deal made. There had to be a deal made because nobody gets those assignments unless they make a deal. Oh, I, I will tell you right now, there are certain committees, there are certain committees where if you are placed on them, there is an understanding that you will vote a certain way on certain things, right? And if you don't, you're either not going to get assigned that committee or you're going to get kicked off it really, really quick. Yeah, we watched it happen with a freshman congressman here in Virginia who immediately voted for FISA after running as a libertarian. You also saw Republican. the exact opposite happen with Justin Amash when he was in office. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, you know, like to crap on Justin Amash now, um, but go back like about 10 years ago when Amash was like really one of the only 
real fiscal conservatives. There's yeah. there's yeah. now more fiscal conservatives actually in office than there was like 10 years ago. But when Amash was there, he was kicked off the budget committee um, because he was saying publicly, he was saying privately yeah. some of the stuff that Chip Roy was just saying publicly, like yep. about the military industrial complex and the $1.7 oh, trillion dollar omnibus. By and, the By the way, good on Chip Roy. I say this as a veteran. I say this as a combat veteran. I say this as... A, a, a huge supporter of our men and women in uniform. The defense budget has gotten crazy. And and I and, and it's been that way for a long time. And it ends up being one of these ways that Republicans end up just throwing out fiscal responsibility. They throw fiscal responsibility right out the window, and we want more money for defense. Look, defense is actually one of the few, you know, big budgetary items that the federal government should be responsible for. But if you look at the way the defense dollars are allocated, it's allocated far more based off of political incentives than it is based off of what is actually best for the security of our country and the safety and training of our troops. So the fact that he was willing to call out defense because most what, – what is the typical liberal response whenever we talk about fiscal responsibility? Oh, sure, unless it's tanks and bombs and B2s. You know. Okay, there's Chip Roy saying what needs to be said is like, no, 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 we need to look at all of it to include defense, especially some of the wasteful defense spending that we've, we've engaged in. So I, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but if, and this goes back to what Crenshaw was saying, right? They just want notoriety. If they're going to use the notoriety from this to call attention to the way that the committee structures work, to the way that some of the fundraising work, to the way that some people get manipulated in particular positions to vote for things they wouldn't otherwise do, to point out the fact that there are some bills that will never make it to the floor, much less a committee where it will actually be heard on its merits. If they're going to use their notoriety to do that, God bless them. Because honestly, any other time of the year when they do it, think about this. If they would have chosen to do this, these 20 people could have stood up and screamed till they were blue in the face for the whole rest of the year after, and nobody would have cared. Nobody would have paid attention. Nobody would ask them why they're doing this. It would have all been white noise. They picked their moment wisely. And the question is, and what you're seeing right now, is that there is a massive move to make this look like this is nothing but a bunch of media whores. Oh, they're making it look like they're throwing a temper tantrum. But when I look, when I sift through all the videos out there and all the quotes out there, the ones that are having a tantrum right now are all the McCarthy folks. Honestly, I'm, I'm looking at some of the quotes from um, the 20. Like, here's here's one. I'm open to whatever will give me the power to defend my constituents against this godforsaken city. That's Chip Roy. That's Chip Roy. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but I mean, others are talking about how, look, we came with with um, concessions that we needed him to make. They were really reasonable, really reasonable. We just wanted bills to make it to the floor, yeah. certain specific bills. Can and he just brushed them off. So and and the well, thing, look, look, one of the reasons one of the reasons Kevin did make some concessions. He did. He didn't make as many as I think he, he made some have. concessions that he felt like maybe would would help, but they weren't exactly what they were asking for. And so it's, it's like saying, well, here I'll, you know, I'll give you this thing. That's kind of like what you asked for. And it's not the same thing. And one thing that we've learned, and, and we were just talking about it last night, that conservatives constantly get, it's the stick and the carrot. The carrot is constantly used for moderates to, to lure them over to just to get them to maybe vote right once in a while. And the, the stick is used to bludgeon all the conservatives into shutting up and just getting in line. And it's really frustrating because at, 
I mean, this honestly, you guys, this is how we ended up with Trump the first, you know, back in 2016 is because people were sick and tired of establishment types telling conservatives that you're not going to get what you want. You're never going to get what you want. We're going to, in fact, we're going to just make you think you might get what you want this session and then maybe next session and they'll just kick the, maybe next session, maybe next session. And they'll, they'll well, just promise the, and promise the, and never deliver. And, and at some point we call their bluff. Let me, let me give a perfect example of this. How many times did the House vote to repeal Obamacare when there was a Democrat-controlled Senate? Yes. It was like 50 times. I, I think yeah. it was over 60, actually. The I think it was something like 64 times. And then they had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they didn't do it. Yep. And and this is this is something else, too, that I need people to understand, which I think is fueling part of the motivation. And, and I will tell you this. Out of this group of 20, there's some people in there that I really like, respect, and know pretty well. There's some other people I don't know. And there's some other people that I don't necessarily respect. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not sitting but here. But I mean, that's every well, group of people. Sure. But I, my point is, is that I'm not, I'm not dumping on everyone that's voting for McCarthy and praising everyone that's not voting for him. I, I'm treating people like individuals and I'm looking at the individual statements that they're making and why they're making them, the motivations that they're revealing, right? That that's what's causing, I don't think any less of Thomas Massey for what's going on right now. Right. Um, so let me let me point this out. Well, when, when you when you were talking about when you were talking about um, again the stick and the carrot, I think that's that is a that is a wonderful way to describe it. And and again, this is something. Now we're I'm not just talking about speculation. I've seen this. I've seen this happen personally in a legislature. Where here's how it goes, guys. We can't do that bill this year because look, it's not going to pass anyway. We don't have the Senate or we don't have the governor's mansion. We don't. It's not going to pass. So why would we put? Some of our more vulnerable members and maybe a dangerous position for them in their districts, you know, and and vote on this. Yeah. If it, if it can't pass anyways. So just play and ball. You, and you know what? Yeah. That seems pretty reasonable to, to some degree. I don't always agree with it, but every once in a while I'll look at it and be like, okay. The the big question is, is there's a problem with that line of get, thinking, though. The big question is, is yeah, there's there's two problems with it. One, it's the idea that, okay, do you really believe in this stuff then? Because if we really believe in it and we think it's good policy, then we should advocate for it because that's what we're then going to run on. It's like, look what you would get if we were in power. Okay, but, but if you're constantly saying that, well, no, this isn't what we really want because we don't think that people really want this. Well, okay, that's also problematic because then my next question is, why aren't you making a better argument for it? Mm -hmm. But here's the other problem that I have. Too many times we are told... This isn't the best year to, to run on this, right? People are more focused in this other area or they're, they're more interested about this. And, you know, the, the press is going to hammer us for this and, and the Democrats are going to rally their base around this. And, you know, so look, if, if we can just get the majorities, then we'll be able to do all of this good stuff. If we can just get the White House or the governorship. And then we get it and we don't do it. No, no, no. That's not true. We do worse. First. First, we're told we need we need the House. And so then conservative voters go out there and they give them the House. Yeah. And then they say, well, we need the Senate, too. So then we go out there and we give them the Senate. Both of these are true statements, though. Yeah, and they, then they say, And then they say, well, we need the governor. Or if it's at the federal level, well, we need the president. By the way, this applies to every state. But yeah. the thing is, is we do and need those things in yeah, order yeah, to get yeah. things passed. I, yes, so let's yes, not act true, like we don't. True. <laughs> and so then we go out there and we give them that. And then you know what we do when we actually have the presidency or the governorship and nothing. we have the Senate and we have the House? No, no, we don't do nothing. <laughs> raise taxes. It'd be great if we didn't do anything. <laughs> no, you know what we do instead? We raise taxes. Yeah. That's what we do instead. We pass our own bills. 
We pass our own multi-trillion dollar omnibus bills. How many how many trillions of yeah. dollars? We get were tens spent? of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. Here's a uh, question for you. How many how many <laughs> trillions us. of dollars were spent when Republicans had the presidency mm -hmm. and they had the US Senate and they had the House of Representatives after Trump won and Republicans won Congress in 2016. Yeah. Trillions were spent between January 2017 and January 2019. Mm -hmm. What happened in, here's an example for, for our audience in Virginia. It was about 10 years ago that Republicans had a trifecta. Yeah. They had the governorship, they had the state Senate, and they had the state legislature. You know what yep. they did with that with that trifecta? They passed the transportation They bill. passed the largest tax increase in Virginia history up to that point in time. The, yep. the infamous transportation package. And- What's happened is this is why Trump became a political phenomenon at the end of the day. Look, there's plenty of things I don't like about Trump, but but you got to understand the reason why he became yeah. a, a, a force. And this is exactly why this debate is happening in the House right now, because the Republican base, there is no group of people that get more hatred from from uh, a group of politicians than Republican politicians direct towards their own base. Yeah. The Republican base arguably gets more hate thrown at them from their own elected officials than they do from the Democrats. And they've been mistreated for so long. This is why like Chip Roy's quote about like, I'll do anything I possibly can to protect my constituents from this godforsaken city. That is so powerful. There, it, it, and, and I like, you just have to understand, like, just follow the money and and, and follow like, well, like the comments of of, of what's going on. So I, I, I get all. I, I, uh, there's two things I want to point out. One, to Tina's point, right? This is the part where we also have to be intellectually honest. And this is a this is a totally fair question of the 20 people that are now you know are, are now preventing the process from going forward um, with McCarthy becoming speaker. This is a fair question. It's like, okay, what specifically do you want? Why do you want it? And if you get it, are, are you voting for are you voting for a speaker? Can I open up with wait, that? Wait, wait a second. Are, are you doing that? Those are those are all fair. Those are all fair questions. OK, but the other side of this is the reason why you're, you're getting this level of pushback is because of what you just mentioned, because and, and again, something I have experienced. OK, fine. I acknowledge that you can't pass bills. Typically, you can't pass bills when all the Democrats oppose it. Unless you have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, Republican White House, or Republican Governor's Mansion. I will concede that point. Here's my question. If we have those three things, do we get this or not? No. Yeah, and, and you and, asked and the, that and the question. Answer, and the answer from a lot of people is, uh, like, okay, so that is very different, right? It is one thing to tell me, Nick, we can't get everything we want when we don't control the, the, the mechanisms necessary within our constitutional republic to achieve it. I, okay, I get that. I understand. Now, I might still make an argument that, but shouldn't we still argue and fight for this and, and convince people that this is a good reason to vote for us, right? That's that's one argument. Another argument is, Nick, the issue's too hot right now. Okay, fine. Let's have that debate. But if you're telling me that this isn't a question anymore of do we have the power to actually pass it, this is now a question of do we even want to pass it? Well, now you're asking me, now you're asking me to stand up and defend something or vote for somebody or put somebody in power that doesn't even have the same objectives or outcomes. That doesn't even have, it's, it's one thing to have a disagreement over strategy and how to yes. get to a mutually agreed end state. It's another thing to realize, oh my gosh, the people that I'm voting for, we don't have the same end state. No. Here's a, yeah. here's a case in point for you. I got a question for everybody here. Nick, you are not allowed to answer this because I told you before we started recording. Right. 
when was the last time? Just, just feel free anybody to throw out an answer other than Nick. He's banned to. He, he's actually <laughs> allowed. The question. To, he's allowed to elaborate on this after I ask the question and give the answer. When was the last time that floor amendments were legally allowed on anything in the U.S. House of Representatives? Oh, no idea. Twenty fifteen. Uh, wow, you're more pessimistic than I am, Hamilton. <laughs> you're very, very close. Nobody knows. I don't know. May 2016. (gasps) The last speaker, believe it or not, the last fair, I cannot believe I'm about to say this. The last (laughs) fair speaker in terms of like allowing individual members of Congress to, you know, actually do their jobs and help influence the passage of legislation. The last fair speaker was John Boehner. Yeah. I, I cannot believe that, but it, 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 it's an well, intellectually fair, honest. Okay, fair, fair in the sense that he allowed for. Okay, so for those people that don't know, most of when when you submit a bill, all right. Now again, the federal process is a little bit different than Virginia, but there's a, there's a lot of similarities. Typically, when you submit a bill, all right, that bill doesn't just go automatically to the floor and everyone votes on it, right? It goes through the committee process, and the committees, the committee assignments are generally selected by the Speaker of the House. Right now, in the federal side, it's a little bit different. Like in Virginia, the speaker has a ton of power. In in the House, on the federal side, they still got a lot of power, but usually they let each caucus pick their own members that they want to serve on that committee. Okay, we don't do that in Virginia. Speaker gets to pick all of the committee. Only memberships. to a point. Remember, Marjorie Taylor we, Greene we, was thrown off of her. Yes, committees. yes. But the the point is, the point is, um, you you can go in there, you you select the members of the committee, um, and that's where the amendment process starts. So you go to your subcommittee. Right. So let's say you got a transportation bill. We'll pick something not that controversial. It'll go to the subcommittee on the interstate or whatever. And you'll, you'll go through there and you argue on why this transportation bill needs to take place. And people sit there and debate like, well, you know, I think this is a problem. I think we maybe need to change this. And then we have, we have some changes that are significant, some changes that are minor. And then it goes up to the full committee. And then if it passes out of the full committee, then it goes to the floor for a vote. And if it passes that house, then it goes to the other legislative body, right? The Senate, right? And you go through the same process, essentially. Mm-hmm. That, that is the basic makeup of, of how this process works. That's not now, how Congress works now, anymore. <laughs> now, you can do what they call floor amendments. And, and in the Virginia House, and again, I, I will actually give Virginia a lot of credit with respect to some of the rules that we have in place, with some of the rules that our speaker puts in place, that have been in place through multiple administrations on like we have, we have a as about as close as you can get to one issue per bill. Yeah, germane, which is, which is essential. Germaneness issues on le- legislation. Uh, the other thing too is we offer floor amendments, so you can you can offer a floor amendment. Now the chances of a floor amendment passing are usually pretty low compared to one that's gone through the system, unless it's been agreed upon by the patron. But you can still do it, and it's a way that you interact and have this debate. What Chip Roy is ever, and everyone else is talking about is go watch. What's going on, on on the House floor when they're actually debating an issue? There'll be like 12 people on, on the floor actually watching that. Now, you go watch it in the House in Virginia, you got all 100 members sitting right there engaging in the floor debate. And all 100 members will be ha- have every single right to speak, okay. stand up, and so, vote, and debate. So are you saying that in Congress, when floor amendments are not allowed, yeah. the members of the House of Representatives do not show up? For no, I'm hearings. saying that I'm saying that as as a general rule, and and you can you can potentially chalk part of this up to the fact that there's I mean we have a hundred members in the House of Delegates, you know they've got four hundred thirty four hundred thirty five in the House of Representatives, but no, in in most of the cases where you're watching these floor debates, unless it's something like really really like earth shattering and significant, when that C-SPAN camera pans back, there's hardly any members there. 
That's right. why that's why it never pans back. But yeah, th- those debates are primarily for the clips. And, and Nick, I, I want you to to and walk through like why this is such a bad this for the audience members they might be like well so so what's the problem you know so so they're not allowed to do floor amendments and they haven't let me propose the question this way how does either situation help or hurt our desire to have a fiscally conservative government okay so let's say so the committee process is necessary and important right it's just a management process until you start manipulating it so like for instance you can bring a bill directly from the, or you can vote to bring a bill directly from the committee, you know, or, or have it leave the committee and go direct to the house floor. It's called a discharge petition. Uh, very seldom happens. A lot of times too, what a committee will do, if they want, if the powerful members of a particular committee or leadership wants a certain outcome and they don't want there to be other options or debate on it, then what they'll do is if they, if they ban the rules, you can't have floor amendments. What that means is the only people that have the, the real chance of amending that bill are people that can do it within the committees, right? Well, if you've already got your other committees and you've got any things you're doing, it, you know, the floor might be the first time you really see this bill. Um, secondly, what it means is, is that if, uh, and a lot of times this happens with rules committees, they will take, but like people think, well, well, what sort of bill goes to a rules committee? Whatever bill they want. In Congress, it's effectively everything. Can I also yeah, well, add? Well, wait, wait one second. So it's whatever bill they want. So understand that rules committees are used in a very specific way. And it's not just for like the rules of the house. Like that might be the initial reason why it's set up, but there's, it, it ends up being a, a catch-all for bills that they want to kind of put aside or they want to, they want to carefully manage the process. So what they can do is they can do a very, very expedited committee process with the bill, show up, you know, you know, all in favor, I send it right to the floor. And now if you don't even have an opportunity to amend it on the floor, you get, you can either vote for it, yes or no. That's what you get at that point. Yes or no. Well, when you're talking about bills that are like $1.7 trillion omnibus packages, right? Or, or you're talking about bills because in Congress, they don't have one issue per bill. Yes. They can they can stack that thing full of so much crap that has nothing to do with the title of the bill. Case in point, the Inflation Reduction Act, which had nothing to do nothing with Nothing to do inflation. with reducing inflation, right? But they can send that they can they can put that in a committee and shepherd that process very very quickly to where now you have one option, you can vote yes or vote no. And if you vote no, they're not going to say, "Oh, you voted no against 1.7 trillion dollars in spending." They're going to say, "You voted no against Spending to help veterans dealing with cancer, you grotesque human being, right? That's what they'll do. And, and you can even look at it and be like, no, I was fine with that particular uh, appropriation. I wasn't fine with the fact that you tagged it on to $5 billion for a solar panel boondoggle in Washington state. Tough. You voted no. You're a bad person. Yeah. Can, yep. can I can I add, add to that in terms of like here's why the floor amendment thing is is such a big issue and this is one of the top issues these twenty holdouts have with McCarthy right now is that in state governments I'll use Virginia as an example because we have some experience here floor amendments are very relatively rare and the reason why is because we have one issue per bill so there's much less of a need to yep. have it you already know whether or not you're going to vote for the bill or not because it's only talking about one topic you either support that topic or or that approach to answering that topic or you don't and so then you vote yes or no and so it's it's very rare that you have uh, floor amendments that even need to be debated. But nonetheless, every member still has the ability to introduce a floor amendment if they want to. Every single member individually can. In Congress, 
under the current rule structure that's been in place since Paul Ryan, which Nancy Pelosi kept in in place, yeah. and which McCarthy up until it was Republicans that did uh, it up until just a few a few hours ago wanted to also keep in place the system that that's been around for seven years that did not exist for the previous two hundred years before was that any individual member could offer a floor amendment. And here's why this is so important, and it's not as big of a deal at the state level. It's because in Congress, you could have a bill that will be touching on 500 things. It's these omnibus, that's how everything is passed now, is through these omnibus bills, these 2,000-page these long bills that will be having literally trillions of dollars worth of of appropriations stuffed into the bill. And so having floor amendments is important because if you're an individual member of Congress, A, you probably never had the opportunity to vote yes or no or to craft the bill in committee because the bill probably was in some sort of rules committee that's stacked with leadership appointees. B, when the bill comes to the floor, it's 2,000 pages long and you usually are only given like 24 hours before you're voting on the bill. Good luck you and your staff to actually comb through it. And so, and then you, you do find out usually through third parties, what's in the bill. It'll be like some conservative yeah. think tank that'll be like, we found this, you know, massive tax hike or this, this horrible appropriation for, you know, some morally objectionable thing like abortion in the bill. And so then you're a conservative congressman. Um, how, are, are you going to vote yes or no on it? Well, you only get a choice to vote yes or no on it yep. because you're not allowed to offer any amendment to alter the bill. Let's say that there's an amendment to pull an expenditure out that you know a majority of your party that's in the majority would vote for because they would never go to the primary voters and say, oh, yeah, I voted to keep in the, you know, a billion dollar appropriation to Planned Parenthood in the bill. They would never tell their yep. primary voter that. So you have a floor amendment to pull that out. But you're not allowed to introduce it because the rules don't allow you to do so. And since you weren't on the rules committee that actually crafted the legislation, you only get one vote in the entire process. And that's yes or no for the entire thing. And if you vote no on it, then you're going to get attacked in either the primary or the general election for voting against Again, you you yeah. vote you voted against and the Inflation will, Reduction will, Act. It seems like Republicans would want to put that back in the rules. No, no, no. no. So the that, leadership that's, does that's not. That's the key. The reason why they don't. No, I and mean again, like real Republicans. I know, but this this is another <laughs> distinction I make between like you know, again, I'm I'm going to give props to our leadership in Virginia and and our rules in Virginia because it isn't just this leadership. Uh, I mean, we had germaneness rules and like that long before this. Part of the reason why they always want to be able to keep that certain modicum of control is because it ends up being a fail-safe, right? It ends up being a mechanism that they can use to kind of keep everybody in line. Now, look, any organization where you have, quote, leadership is going to want to be able to exercise some amount of control over the caucus. I don't have a problem with that, right? Think about it. There's no such thing as an organization that can operate effectively if there is no organization or if there right. is no you know, leadership to that organization. I get all of that. The question is the extent to which it has been used, and especially up in Congress at the federal level, where they can just jam-pack these bills full of things that have nothing to do with the actual headline, and then they can come on and they can use national-level fundraising assets and national-level media assets to crush you into submission if you don't do it. That is a problem. And again, it, it's not like nobody's talked about this problem. There was a whole HBO special called The Swamp, which featured people like Tom Garrett and Thomas Massey and some of these other guys saying, this is what's actually going on behind the scenes. How many people saw it? Oh. Right? How many people saw any of this? When, the first time most people in America, 
that, that even pay attention to politics are hearing about things like, what do you mean a vote to vacate the seat, vocate the, the chairman? What, what do you, what do you mean? You know, the most time they ever is right now. Why? Because the circumstances surrounding the discussions are so consequential to Congress. So you can, again, you can go and say, oh, they don't have a plan. Oh, they don't have another person. Oh, they never. They use the mechanism that they had to draw attention mm -hmm. to things that desperately need to be better understood by people that are getting steamrolled by a federal government that has found numerous ways to work the system. Everybody wants to know how do they get away with this? They're telling you. They're telling you right now how they get away with this. They're telling you right now how the machine always wins. So look, I'm not asking you to like every individual member of, of the, the 20 people. I'm not asking you to like them. I'm not asking you to think that I'm not, I'm not saying that Kevin McCarthy's an evil. I'm not saying any of that. But my gosh, can we at least respect for a second that most people wouldn't even know what any of these things meant or what these terms stood for or the problems that are happening or the systemic problems that lead to all of the results they don't like. That's been one of the biggest problems. People will see the vote. They will see the bill. They will see the end state. And they'll be like, how could this have happened? They're telling you now. Mm -hmm. So, And they had to use this mechanism in order yeah. to tell you because otherwise no one was going to listen. And leadership is using their favorite their favorite messengers to go out and whip the people in order to whip their members. And this is, this is the way it works. Um, it's, it's this guy's not falling in line and let's put out our best messenger to go talk to the media in order to convince people to call their legislator and to change their vote. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, deals and, and how they, they'll make deals and th their trade-offs, right? And you mentioned Thomas Massey. And there was one situation a while back where he was allowed to write the section on one of the bills yeah. and, and he agreed to vote for it because they allowed him to write that section. And here's the thing. I guarantee you, I mean, I can't prove it, but I believe McCarthy has made a lot of concessions and a lot of promises to the people who are um, on his side and they have promised in turn to defend his position. And so that's what you're seeing. And a lot of these people have a great reason for sticking to McCarthy because they've been promised what they want. And the, the, it, it's one of those, I, look, I'm not, I'm not, it's, gonna... one of the, it's one of the reasons why I don't think, that okay. McCarthy staying in the running will ever produce another viable candidate. No, that, he, that's, he would that's, have to withdraw. That's, that's probably that's probably true. And and, there's and that's whole, what they ultimately there's, want. There's a whole other range of well, again, I'm I'm not this is the thing I want to stay away from. I don't want to assume the intentions of everybody that's supporting McCarthy, and I don't want to assume the intentions of everybody that's opposing McCarthy, except to the extent where they've articulated their intentions. And and when I listen to Chip Roy talk about some of this stuff, I'm looking at it going, yeah, I, I get it. I get why that's a problem and I get why it's not going to, it's not going to fundamentally change until some of the things he's talking about actually take place. And, and I get why he's not willing to just hope for the best after we get a speaker. I get why he's, he's shooting a shot right now mm -hmm. because this, this is when he has the ability to actually bring public attention to it. And for as much as for as much people that are dumping on these 20 guys, go look at, at what's actually happening among, I, I think core conservative constituencies where they're saying, look, I realize that maybe this could have been could have been done better. I realize that maybe it could have been more organized. But you know what? Thank God somebody's saying it. Lydia, you you had something. Yeah, I had one question, and then we can start thinking about 
trying to wrap up. So I heard Ben Shapiro say, and I've been disagreeing with Ben Shapiro on this a little bit more than I usually do um, because he's very establishment and I'm really kind of not, but that's just me. And he said the following. He said the Speaker of the House could change tomorrow and it would make no difference to the ordinary person whatsoever. So what's our impact for the regular working class person um, on how this will affect their daily lives and what they should look for? Well, I think I think what Ben is saying there is that if you had Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scal- now obviously if you pick Jeffries, right? If you if, right. if there's a Democrat speaker, that that has a much more significant impact. Um, but if you, you could, let's just say you randomly walked into the Republican caucus, threw a rock, and whoever it hit was the new Speaker of the House, right? Would, would there be a significant difference between three other people that you could have hit with that rock? Probably not. Right. Probably not. Now, obviously, you get a much more significant difference from, say, um, if, if you were to select a Jim Jordan uh, versus, you know, a, a far more you know moderate or, or even left leaning Republican. Obviously, that, that would have a serious impact. So I think what Ben's saying is that for the day to day American, you're going to wake up, you're going to go to work tomorrow, you're going to do X, Y or Z. And the, the biggest impact is whether or not Congress is actually able to go through its its typical functions with respect to passing legislation, hopefully getting budgets at the very least doing, um, you know, the, the, how oh, would, dang it, what's the term? It just escaped me. The, the uh, continuing resolution, the continuing um, resolution, yeah, continuing resolutions for um, spending and things like that. Um, but again, overall disagree with, with Ben to the extent I, I, I think, I think what he's saying is that we're not going to get Jim Jordan. We're not going to get, you know, Andy Biggs. We're not going to get Chip Roy. We're not going to get that as speaker because to Dan Crenshaw's point, the Democrats have a say in who the speaker is. It's not just Republicans choosing who that is. And so you're going to get somebody that um, it is palatable on, on some level to a majority of members of Congress. That's what you're going to get. And whoever you would get with that is not going to be that different from Kevin McCarthy. Right. Unless this, this thing totally blows up. And I think what Ben is worried about is that it does totally blow up. And then all of a sudden we do get somebody that's significantly worse um, or, or, or not at all conservative. Um, I, I think, you know, again, there's some people that are chalking this all up to personality and personal relationships. And, and I will say this, if I was, I, I do understand that a caucus has to run like an organization and you have a hierarchy within that organization. I get all of that. But if, if I had real problems with something that I think were systemic and I would like, look, I'm not, I'm not willing to be a part. I, I'm not willing to sit here quietly while this is done anymore. And you came in and you said, Nick, Let's say Virginia didn't have one issue per bill, and now was our chance because we had Republican leadership and we could go in there and we could insist on one issue per bill, and that was going to have a positive impact on no matter who was in charge. It was going to have a positive impact. And you told me, Nick, that's never going to happen. I said, well, then I'm withholding my vote. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to support this until we can get something like this because this isn't for me. This is for everyone. And you said, well, then you're going to lose all your committee assignments. My attitude would probably be like, Go ahead and take them away because you know what? That'll give me a lot more time to do. Talk about this and what you just did. That's what it'll give me with my time to do. So I think that really is pushing so much of this is that for so long now, it has always been, oh, wait till next year or wait till we have this or wait until this is in charge or wait can we. And now we're talking about things that we do have the power to change. We can't get all the bills that we want passed, but we do have the power to make sure that certain bills get to the floor. We do have the power to make sure that there's sufficient rule changes to make sure that the process is more open, more transparent for, for people to understand what's going on. 
And if you're not even going to do those things, then now we're back to that original premise that I talked about. This is no longer something where you and I want the same thing, but we disagree on strategy or we disagree about or the mechanics necessary to make it happen. We now have the mechanics to make that happen. We have the power to do what we're talking about, and you still don't want to do it. So when will you ever want to do it? And if the answer is never, why am I voting for you to be my leadership? Yeah. They'll why do it should, why should you play ball? Court. Why, why should you play ball? They'll do it when the laws of economics finally force them to do. <laughs> so that, that's what I think. That's what I think is really. I, that's the sentiment I really think is behind all of this. I, I don't. I don't think it's again individuals. There may be some people that have nefarious purposes. There may be some individuals that were just something. But I, I really think what is fueling all of this is people saying now is the time to bring this to attention to a majority of Americans who would never otherwise hear the message. And if we don't do it now, we're culpable. And at the very least. Yeah. At the very least, nobody's going to say that we didn't say something when we had an opportunity to make an impact. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's great. I think that that really makes it applicable to, to the average person who's watching all this chaos and drama go down. As we start to wrap up, I really want to come back around to what exactly we think this Freedom Caucus of Republican wants Republicans want to do, because I've seen... So many sides of the issue on Twitter. I've seen people saying, oh, the Freedom Caucus, this is who they are. They're traitors or whatever. And it's just like, it's so overwrought. It's so overblown. And I can't help thinking that nobody is looking at these people as good faith actors who really actually want to change the course in Washington. Do you think that's the case? Do you think they are good faith actors or is there an undercurrent of questionable motives here? Um, and should we be constantly suspicious or should we? Well, it's DC. There's, there's DC. Doing? There's always the, <laughs> there's always the potential for questionable motives. Yeah, there's there. definitely some I truth in Dan Crenshaw's. I, I think there's uh, a good, I think there's, I think it's a good assumption to assume that there's questionable motives, but I, again, yeah. one of the reasons why I've tried to be careful in this whole episode and not assign negative attentions. I'm not sitting here trashing Kevin McCarthy. I'm not trashing Chip Roy. I'm not trashing. I, I'm saying, I'm saying if, if anybody wants to have an honest conversation about this and, and have a better understanding of why certain people feel the way that I think Chip Roy feels, I, I hope I've explained that. I hope I've expressed that in a way where people could look at that and say, you know what? I might not agree with what Chip Roy's doing, but yeah, he's not doing it just because he wants attention. He actually is trying to bring, he actually is trying to point out something that that is a problem. And, and that's all I want from this. Um, and there are some that are going to latch on and and try to get in front of the media and try to get this to go as far as it can for them politically. Yeah. There's a lot that that just really love the camera and that's what they want out of this. Um, I'm sure. But ultimately, I think that everybody has slightly different motivations and they've just found themselves on the same side of the issue. Well, there, uh, there's different. Yeah. Again, we always say politics makes for strange bedfellows and that's because sometimes two people agree on something for entirely different reasons. And sometimes people disagree on things for entirely different reasons. Um, I've been in those situations where there was maybe two or three no votes and I was one of them and somebody else on the other side is someone who philosophically I completely disagree with on most issues. And we were both voting our conscience, but for different reasons. And so, yes, I'm sure there are people that are motivated against McCarthy that might have less than honorable intention. I'm sure there's people that are supporting Kevin McCarthy that might have less than honorable intentions. I'm not here to assume all of their intentions. I'm here to hopefully explain why somebody that I do feel like I know a little bit better might be doing this or why if I was up there, I might find myself in this position right now. Can I, can, can, can we actually end with 
a question that I have, which is, wh- what would you do if you were in Congress? <laughs> I, I would. I, so I, I think you were almost there. <laughs> my, well, my my and and I actually <laughs> we have a fun story about that. There, there's actually an interesting story that's kind of relevant to this from that, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, because I, I was adamant when I was running for Congress that I would not commit to vote for a particular speaker. Now, now typically, um, you know, I understand that when the, when the caucus votes for a particular speaker, that's usually the appropriate process. That's usually the appropriate process to put forward somebody else that you think might be a better candidate, see what happens. And that way, when you show up on the floor, you're, you're unified against somebody. But if we were dealing with the issues that we currently are in Congress right now, Right. Again, if, if, if I was walking into the Virginia state legislature and we didn't have one issue per bill, if you could literally just tack on whatever you wanted and, and leadership had leadership had established a history over time and, and across parties where, where they were conducting themselves at the way we're at the, at the federal level. I'm sorry. I think I'd be standing there next to Chip Roy saying, you want me to vote for this person? Okay. But I want to see these structural changes and these structural changes are not there to benefit me. These structural changes are not there to punish, you know, the, the potential speaker. These structural changes are something that needs to take place because the American people deserve an open, transparent, and honest system. And if this was the only way I thought I could actually get people to, to hear that message, then yeah, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be standing there with the 20. By the same token, if leadership came forward and in good faith said, all right, we will do that, fine, I realize I'm not going to get everything I want. I realize that. I, I realize that there's a certain degree of compromise that is necessary within politics. I, I understand. I'm not going to compromise on things that I consider to be foundational principles. Voting for Kevin McCarthy for speaker is not a violation of of, four, uh, of core fundamental principles, right? Which is why Thomas Massey has chosen to do it because he thinks in the big scheme of things that that's the best course of action going forward. And I and again, I trust Thomas Massey to be the sort of guy that's going to stand by his principles. I also trust that Chip Roy right now feels like that this is the best opportunity to do this. And I, and I think I'd be standing with Chip. Wow. I think that's a good way to, to, to end it. I, I love great. that. that Already. That, 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 that answer to that question right there was pretty good. Well, look, um, the, the important thing to remember is these, these situations, it's very, very easy to demonize one side or the other, or assume that everybody has nefarious intent that you don't agree with. I, I think that there are, multiple perspectives on this and it's important to understand put aside for a second that there will be bad intentions that there will be bad motivations and for just a moment consider what might be the positive motivations on both sides of this argument and then come to a conclusion on which you think best aligns with your values and the outcome you would like to see if you can do that at the very least nobody can fault you for going through a rigorously you know, an intellectually rigorous process. And I think that's important. So once again, thank you for joining this episode. Hopefully we'll get this published before we actually have a uh, speaker vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah we'll, they're reconvening we'll, now. So we'll put we that all on Hamilton. All right. Once again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. 
special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.